When big feelings seem to take over and overwhelm us and our children, what can we do? Our emotions can get intense and it seems like they're running us. What are some of the real life struggles kids face and what tools are there available to help us and our children manage our emotions? We all know that parenting is hard work and life can get busy. We've done the research to help you. So let's dig deep with Leanne Mancini and work together to help you raise strong Christian kids. Hello, Michelle. Welcome back to the show again to answer the rest of our questions. Michelle shared some really great information and she talked about her new books for kids that are very beneficial. And I'm just happy to have you back on again, Michelle. Thanks so much for allowing me to have some extra time with you. Yes. So let's get right into it. What do you think kids wish their parents knew about their emotional struggles? That they have them and that that doesn't mean they don't love God. And it doesn't mean that they're not doing their best. I think sometimes when I talk with kids in the office, they tell me more than anything else, they don't want to disappoint their parents. And sometimes they feel like when they're messing up, which means they're feeling a lot of feelings that in a way, either their parents going to be disappointed in them because that means there's something wrong with them or their parent won't understand because sometimes we as parents, like, you know, I'm in my fifties, I'm kind of an older parent and it's been a long time since I went through puberty, but hormones alone will spike emotions out of control. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that. And then when I talk about the middle school brain, you know, Even when I talk to preschool moms and when I talk to puberty moms, it's kind of the same thing. Like the brain has grown and now it's pruning. And there's a lot of things that sometimes I think we look at as a lack of self-control that for kids that is not, it is typical developmental behavior for them in a brain that has hormones releasing and is growing and pruning. And so I do believe that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but I think we need to remember how alive that spirit is in a child, number one, because that grows a lot, especially like I got a 16-year-old and I'm just seeing the Holy Spirit blossom in her right now. But I didn't see that same fruit and you shouldn't. You should see seeds when they're three and four, not fruit. And then the other thing I would say is also remember their brain is not fully developed When I tell parents and kids this, especially moms who are launching college kids and they're so worried about them, it's not fully developed till they're 26, anywhere from 24 to 26. Well, with gaming and the pandemic, now we're looking at research that's saying 26 to 28 because the amygdala is where fight, flight, and fight, and then fawn, which is pleasing to get you to get out of the situation, happens. And it can be larger in someone who's experienced trauma. And then what they're saying, though, is that when we're in that state for longer periods of time, the blood flow is not going to go to this last part to develop this frontal lobe. And so they're wondering if that brain develop is delayed because of that. Yeah, you know, I agree with you on that because I saw my kids when they hit their late 20s, that's when I could see the shift, like around 28, actually, where they were making healthy choices and better choices and more in tune to what, what was going around them in the world and not just what was going around and for themselves. And, you know, I also think that I think parents, emotional struggles that kids go through, they want their parents to listen to them, maybe not so much lecture and preach all the time, but just to listen to them and have some empathy. 
I think that's important as well, because a lot of parents, you know, they get to where they want to just lecture and tell them what to do and how to do it without just hearing their hearts, sitting and listening to their hearts. I so agree with you. In fact, I rarely past the age of 10 have done much lecturing because I did that seed planting early. And so a lot of times, even if I were to say anything to them, I would say, what do you think I would say? And they know what I'm going to say a lot of times. And then I'm like, but how do you feel? And they're like, I know that's true. And I know that's what I should do, but I don't want to right now. And I honor that. Like that is a struggle we all face. You know, we talk about that in Pauline literature. We do what we do not want to do and vice versa. And allowing our kids to have that struggle, talking it through with them instead of lecturing them, the shorter your phrases, the better, but always starting with, man, that, that does sound hard. Yeah. I could see Empathy. how you feel. And then sometimes asking them, if you want to empower them, what would you like to do about that? How do you think God would want you to handle it? Instead of telling them, let's hear what they have to say. Absolutely. This is how they form critical thinking. Also, how does a Christian parent tell the difference between a child wanting to escape a consequence or truly needing a break when they are emotional? So when the body is emotionally aroused, your children aren't even hearing you. That's what the research says. And even so much so that one of our theorists, John Gottman, he has a lab where he does this research on where the brain is hooked up and the heart rate is hooked up. And so my husband thinks this would be the best gift in the world because he's a man of few words. So in John's labs, couples can't talk. They wear a heart rate monitor and they get a baseline. And when they go so many beats above the baseline, they cannot speak again because their brain's no longer working correctly until they get below that baseline. Literally, there's a beep, 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 and you hear that until your heart's regulated. Can you imagine how few things we would all say in families if we did that? But the idea behind this is you are not going to say what you really mean. How many times have we done that as parents? You know, Because you're too emotionally overwhelmed. I joke in mops all the time that my kids spent less time on the calm down step than I spent in mommy time out emotionally regulating myself because I had this expectation of my kids that sometimes was very unrealistic. And then I would be offended when they would say things to me that were childish, you know? And so I had to work through that because I grew up in a household where children shouldn't do that. And, and, and they were talking back and disrespecting my authority and really and truly they were just expressing themselves. And so I think it's important that First of all, I want to tell every one of your listeners, if you want to torture an adolescent, tell them you're not going to give them the consequence until the next day. They won't sleep that night barely at all. There are very few consequences that you have to give immediately. And when you and a child are emotional, those are not teachable moments. Those are calm down moments. So calm down first and then come back to that with a teachable moment and you will be so much more effective. The efficacy there, I'm going to use a big word is tremendously more powerful and you will not have to apologize to them for your words and behavior as often because I really want when my children are failing to know that it's not about me and my anger but it is about them and their their need for growth and I do believe in consequences but I believe in consequences delivered from a calm mind and a calm heart I think that's how the father works with us. Most of the time, there are some scriptures where he seems to get a little roused up. And I think that's where we are reflections of him in as well. But I think if we can 
display that to our kids, we will be such better images of the Father, heart of God to them. And they will not be fearful to approach him and they will want to more. Yes. And I think if we just remember to that, I think all kids want to escape a consequence. I don't, I don't think there's a kid that says, hey, you know, I'm ready for my consequence. Uh, they probably want to escape that. But I think it's so important, like you said, to talk to them, not when they're emotional, because like you said, science shows that 50% of our brain, I think, shuts down or most of our brain shuts down when we're emotional or upset and we can't think. And that's why when we're telling our kids to do something, they look at us like deer in the headlights because it's just not registering. So I think that's really, you know, great advice. Make sure that you dole out the consequence when, when everybody has calmed down so that you can explain why you're giving them that consequence, what they did wrong, and give them time to comprehend and understand the whole situation so that maybe they won't do that again. Can I address sure. a spiritual issue that can come up in these times too? One time I had said something to my daughter and she looked like I punched her in the gut and she was young, about eight years old. And I said to her, what did you hear me say? I just had this feeling. And she said that I am awful and I never do anything right. And I said, oh, honey, I, I've never thought you were awful a day in your life and you do so many things right. What I said to you is your shoes have been downstairs for three days. And I would like you to take them upstairs today. And I have asked you every day several times to do it. Now, we have to remember 7% of conversation is, is verbal. The rest of it's nonverbal. And even as I tell this story, you could hear the change in my voice. And obviously, you could perceive a change in my face. My daughter took those nonverbals, and I think the enemy used them in that moment to say to her, you're bad, you're never going to be good, And he, because he will twist that conversation and so I think it's so important we check in with our kids sometimes to see what they're hearing us say, because sometimes they're summarizing that in a way we would never want them to create a belief in their mind and their heart. And I've worked with so many adults who have held on to beliefs like that, 80-year-olds that I'm working with now in my office that are struggling to believe they are of value to God because they never felt of value. Oh, that's so, that's so, so sad. I it mean, is. to come at it the really... end of your life and feel that way. Yeah. That's a reason, another reason why when we discipline our kids, we should always have them repeat the instructions we've given them so we know that they understand. And then to follow up to make sure that they've, they've done what we've asked them to do, because that's what God wants us to do, to be responsible and to be accountable for what we're to do and not to do. Well, what are some of the techniques you suggest to help kids and their parents become calm when everybody's upset? Well, the first one is really easy, but we don't do it very well in our culture today. And that is breathing in through our nose and out through our mouth and even taking belly breaths in that, moving our belly. And I teach kids to do this, like putting a stuffed animal if they're little on their belly and teaching them how to move it. So they're really getting that air into their chest. Because the research says about six good breaths like that will reset your amygdala. So I have even breathed with my kids. In fact, I have a funny story that I tell. I won't tell the whole thing, but my daughter in preschool came up to another child who was in timeout and told him if he wanted to get timeout, it sounds crazy, but her mom makes her in the car take three deep breaths sometimes before she speaks, before she gets in trouble. And it really helps calm her brain down. And he's he did it and he yelled, hey, Sophia, it worked, I'm out, you know, and it was just a funny story. But it's this idea that if we will do this with them, first of all, then we become co-regulators with them. 
we are taking the peace of God and we are sharing it with them in breath. And, and we can breathe in God's love and out our struggles. A lot of times in that parenting situation, there's a feeling of attack and defend. And, and so we want to get past that to a sense of cooperation, of working together. I am for you. God is for you. And we want to help you, not because you're bad, but we want to help you with this. And I think another way that parents can do this very simply is to admit their own struggle in the midst of it, too. A lot of times the things I get the most frustrated with my kids are the things I'm still working on myself. Another simple technique is change your body temperature. You can go put your hands under cold water and it is going to change the way your brain feels and it works. So you guys could go run your hands under some cold water together, flush some cold water on your face if you're feeling that hot flush feeling that parents get a lot of times when they're upset. Maybe maybe wrap up in a blanket together and talk. You know, especially if you have a young one Physical touch can be very calming for a lot of them if you are calm. Now, you can't transfer your, if you are frustration, emotion is energy in motion, they're going to catch your emotion. So that's where I, I tell parents, it is, you're the compass. You're the emotional compass. If you want the calm to be there, you have to be calm first. And I'll be honest with you, Leanne, I grew up in a, in a home where people loved God, but they did not do that well at all. My parents would lose it. And if we lost it back, we were the bad guys. And, and they would own that. They would own that now and tell you this was like, just as they take credit for all the great things, my sister's a Lifeway Bible study teacher that we are doing in the kingdom today. They take responsibility for these were weaknesses in our family that we're, they're very grateful we are not replicating in the next generation. And I would say to you, if you are struggling with that as a parent, get some help for yourself first. A lot of times the wrong person's in therapy with us in families, people, when they see their kids acting out, want to get them in counseling as fast as they can, because we do have a lot of fears with the statistics. But sometimes I want to say to that parent, you experienced a lot of childhood trauma you've never addressed. I'm working with a woman right now whose children have graduated. It's the first time she's ever talked about the trauma she's experienced in her childhood and how it still emotionally affects her today. And I think it's so important we work through that as parents so that we can pass on a different legacy to our kids. Well, thank you, Michelle, for being on the show again and, and wrapping up this wonderful two sessions. And if you want to contact Michelle, we'll have the link in the show notes. It's yourmentalhealthcoach.com. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. And this is how we all work together to raise strong Christian kids. Thank you for listening to this episode that can now be heard on the Edify app. 